Hear the gospel from John chapter 9. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am he. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The renowned architect, Frank Lloyd Wright, once told of an incident that perhaps seemed insignificant at the time, but had a profound influence on the rest of his life. The winter he was nine years old, he went walking across a snow-covered field with his reserved, no-nonsense uncle. As the two of them reached the far end of the field, his uncle stopped him and pointed out his own tracks in the snow. Straight and true and unwavering. He then pointed out young Frank's tracks, which meandered all over the field. Notice how your tracks wander aimlessly from the fence to the cattle to the woods and back again, his uncle said, and see how my tracks aim directly to the goal. There's an important lesson in that. Years later, Wright liked to tell how this experience contributed to his philosophy of life. I determined right then, he said with a twinkle in his eye, not to miss most things in life as my uncle had. It is obvious we miss things if we are just passerbys aiming to get from point A to point B. Consider this man in today's gospel lesson. The man was born blind. 
He was not able to aim his tracks directly towards his goal, and he would have meandered naturally. And because of his condition, he would have learned about people based on their reactions to him. So no, he didn't miss many things, though he couldn't physically see. He had a sense of how others viewed him, how they kept their tracks straight in the other direction away from him. He lived his life being viewed by others as unclean and cursed. He was a hopeless beggar, a man for whom people walked by day after day, plainly not seeing him. So Jesus' disciples expeditiously asked a question trying to figure out his condition. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, who sinned that he was born blind? Well, to pose this question means that the disciples really didn't see him. They only saw his ailment, and they wanted to know who to blame. Jesus quickly responds that no one has sinned. He continues in saying that God's works will be made known in the man, though he is blind. But let us consider the physically blind man sitting there. What about his other senses? His hearing is far greater than others. He's heard the silence of those to whom he's asked for help. He's heard the rules that he cannot make a sacrifice to his God because of his blindness. He's heard his whole life that something is wrong with him. He's heard what the smirk looks like. And he's vividly seen it in his heart, day after day, his entire life. But then he becomes attuned to something odd that pierces through the usual noise. He hears the sound of spit hitting the ground. The gravity made it splash around. The next thing he knows, someone is rubbing a mixture of saliva and earth onto his eyes. Could this be some organic ointment? He ponders, who would even have the time to stop and try it on him? He hadn't heard of this before. Yet he knew full well that humankind was formed from the dust of the earth. Was this the end? What is happening? And Jesus picked up that organic mixture and laid his hands upon the man's eyes and he instructs him to do something immediately. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And I imagine the man wandered aimlessly there, 
figuring that he was going to have to get that mucky stuff off of his face when he arrived. Uh, uh, the blind man asked someone to help him find the pool. And once he and his helper arrived, he eased himself down into the water and he sat there for a while scrubbing his face. Siloam means sent. And as he splashed the water upon his face, it ran down the sides of his cheeks. And as it did, glimmers of light and figures and colors permeated his brow. And his head started to move around. And he began to see things he had never seen before because he was born this way. The front of his forehead burned with the wholeness of God's restoration. Dripping water became dripping tears as darkness turned to light. Where was the one that touched his eyes, he asked. Where was the one that took the time to stop and see him? Where is the healer? Then he meandered back to town with a whole new gaze. After it happened, he was then sent to proclaim that though he was blind, he now sees. There wasn't much preparation for this. He didn't really know the man who had healed him. He was having to immediately adjust his life to that of one who can see. He didn't know he was going to be interrogated by religious people. Would anyone even believe that he had been blind in the first place? He received the remedy for his physical blindness and with fear and trembling told others in authority of his experience. But yet it wasn't enough, though. It wasn't enough for the Pharisees to see that he had been miraculously healed. There was tension, and they investigated the healing and questioned the man, and they questioned his parents, and they questioned Jesus. The authorities were angered. They were so angered that Jesus would do such a thing on the Sabbath day. What a sin to help somebody see when it's Sunday. Illuminating someone's eyes on the day of rest. Who does this healer think he is? Later in the story, the Pharisees called and questioned the man's parents and doubted that he was actually born blind in the first place. Shuddering at the knees, it seems, the man's parents said that he was indeed their son, that he was born blind, and that they also didn't know who healed him. The parents told the Pharisees, you know, he is of age. Why don't you ask him yourself? So the Pharisees summoned the man again to question him. These guys had no bone of acceptance in their entire being. We read in verses 24 and 25, so for the second time they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, you, you give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. The now seeing man answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner or not, 
But one thing I do know, once I was blind, and now I see. Do you see? Do I see? From time to time, I, like the Pharisees, look at the so-called problem and do not see actual people. The first time I went to Haiti and landed in Cap Haitian and began the ride to our hotel, I was caught up in seeing problems. As we rode, I saw mounds and mounds of trash piled up on the beach for miles. I saw broken down cars, broken down buses, broken down motorbikes, and broken down people. I saw sick people sitting in the mud who were missing limbs and people standing barefooted in the rain because there was nowhere for them to go and shoes really shoes would not have made a difference and I met a new friend over those few days Dr. Eugene Macklin who clearly sees people and heals them as a physician for the Haitian people this is miraculous the first day I toured one of the Methodist clinics I became very convicted he talked to me about the people Dr. Eugene saw people I was seeing problems, not only problems with people, but problems with the whole world. Who was going to finally fix Haiti, I pondered. I'd sat with numerous philanthropic organizations and heard them say things like, investing in Haiti would be like buying a clothes hanger with nothing on it on a sale rack at a thrift store. Dr. Eugene had many opportunities to practice medicine in the States and other places where medical care and resources are aptly available. But after medical school, he returned from the States to Haiti to practice medicine there. He sees clearly that the Haitian people are created in God's image like everyone else. He can see that beyond their impasse, as the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, that there is hope because God is there. And the vision God gave him has allowed him to connect with others and open a hospital in a rural area that serves a population of around 250,000 people. And in addition, his medical social services staff and he work with numerous Methodist medical clinics in that area. Now, when I returned, I still was not seeing the people. When I returned, as I went on and on about this, trying to jump hurdle after hurdle in the minds of charitable trust fund boards, I, think, I kept thinking I could help a big fix solution. But I couldn't. because I wasn't seeing people. Someone else in my life saw people and not problems, and through her connections, she secured hospital beds for the entire hospital, more than they needed, and other medical equipment, and got it shipped and delivered at no cost. She saw the people. Dr. Eugene sees the people. And Jesus saw the man and not the blindness. 
Can we truly say once I was blind, but now I see? Back to the story, Jesus finds the healed man again. Jesus is the good shepherd who seeks and saves the lost. He follows this man and his story. He finds him in a common place of passerbys. And now comes the time for interpretation and reflection. The act of healing has occurred, and Jesus asks, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he? Responds the healed man, just as honest as he always has been. I who speak to you am he, Jesus responds. And the healed man proclaims, Lord, I believe. And with that proclamation and committed devotion, the healing is complete. The man born blind sees not only the world around him with utter and complete honesty, but the man born blind now also sees Jesus himself, the Lord of that world, who can bring clarity even out of the mud made from human spit. As we ponder this, we are left to wonder who is truly blind. Is it the man whose eyes didn't work? Or is it the people who failed to see him when he sits begging by the side of the road? After all, even after Jesus gives the man back his sight, there are so many who still cannot recognize Jesus for who he is. And they're happy to continue on unseeing. And perhaps we too are more blind than we like to admit. Dragged down by our anxiety and fear. Unable to see the beauty of the world anymore because of the way we have been distracted by the hustle and bustle of a life way too busy to wander and meander. By the rules and the regulations of a life that needs us to follow a straight and certain path. But then Jesus meets us even in those places of darkness and our vision clears. It's like we were blind and then we can see. We can't explain it. All we know is that it happened. Happened just clear as day. We had been lost and dying inside, but Jesus came to us and rescued us because he sees us. And the only testimony we can give is this. We have met a God who sees us even when we are blind. A God who finds us even when we are lost. A God who saves us and loves us and who will, in the end, come back to lead us home into the light of God's eternal glory. There have been many people who have been a part of this church, Trinity United Methodist, who have come through these doors blind and who have left being able to see because God and the Holy Spirit has met them here and put that mixture on the eyes of their hearts and those scales have fallen off and they have become Christians. This morning, if you're in that place, know that you're welcome to come and pray at our altar and I'm happy to pray with you or this morning if you are in that place where you just want to give God a prayer of thanksgiving 
humbled on your knees. Know that as we sing the great hymn of the church, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that this is your church, this is your altar, and God is here and notices you.